Hello, podcast listeners, and welcome to the 5th of November 2020 Hong Kong Stories Podcast. I'm Rachel Smith. Working life is hard. Sometimes it's overwhelming. Some of us prefer the predictability of office work, while others prefer a less regular life. And many people spend more time with work colleagues than with chosen partners and friends. This circumstance might have changed somewhat over the past few months, but as we wander about in the cooler air this week, we'll be listening to one of my stories about working life and people I encountered. We'll also hear a story from Ross about a job he once had. Before we get to today's stories, though, a huge thanks goes out to our loyal Hong Kong listeners. We know you're there, and we appreciate your support. Thanks for listening goes out to our overseas listeners as well. This week to listeners in Vancouver in Canada, Lagos in Nigeria, and Melbourne in Australia. Thanks for letting our stories into your ears. Our Friday, November 13th live show is sold out. We have such generous audiences. We'll be performing as part of the Hong Kong International Literary Festival and we're really looking forward to it. This will be the fifth year that Hong Kong Stories has been involved in the festival and the show this year is produced by Kristen and hosted by Sao Mai. We couldn't ask for a better lineup with some of our favorite stories from the past 12 months being told back on stage for you to hear live. Hong Kong Stories. It's better than drama. It's better than comedy. It's real life. And now with a story from the June show, which was once the February show, which had the theme Fifty Shades of Red. Here is Rachel. Have you ever felt like you've been out of sync with everybody else? Like... Everybody's following this clear and present path, and you're just floundering around and not sure what it is you're supposed to do next. Well, that was me. Coming out of four years of studying philosophy and dead languages, and I spent the years learning the nominative, vocative, accusative, dative, and, and genitive of ancient Greek and trying to figure out whether or not we existed when nobody was observing us. Uh, and I wasn't really sure what I was supposed to be doing. And so I was ready. I was really ready for a change. So I decided to become a banker. (laughs) And so I applied for the graduate training program in retail banking and wealth management at HSBC in England. And I got in. And I was really excited. I was ready to face new challenges, to learn strategies of management and all about retail banking. And so I, I got a banking haircut. <laughs> and I bought a banking suit. And I traded my sneakers for some slightly shiny black pointy banking shoes. And I was ready to go. I had a name tag with the little red and white logo on the corner. And it said, Retail Banking Manager, Trainee. (laughs) And you know what? I loved banking. I loved learning new stuff. 
going through that procedural manual and figuring out banking strategies, learning about interest rates and learning about how to do loans and how to do credit scoring. I mean, it was different and new and something I'd never done before. So there I was, learning all these new things, enhancing my key skills with an eye towards senior management. And I was killing it. I was awesome. My lapels were adequately wide and my suit was ironed and my hair was perfect and my shoes were shined and I was amazing. I was inspiring coworkers. I was learning new strategies for coping with internal mechanisms and I was spending a lot of time on the internal computer figuring out the procedures. And then one day, about two years into my management training, there was a call from a branch down the road. Their bank manager was ill, and they needed somebody in a senior management position who could sign off on the counter staff's doings for the day. And there I was, my big break. I got my little car and I drove down the road to this branch. And this branch, it was in England, in northern England. And uh, as somebody from Canada, it was adorable. <laughs> there was two counter positions and a senior management position. That was me. And I was called in to be the acting branch manager. So there I go. I introduce myself to the counter staff. They show me where I can sit in the office. I log on to the system, and I get down to business. Because I am in a predictable path now. I know exactly what's going to happen next. I am comfortable with what I'm doing. I'm on there. I'm on the system. I'm tipping away. Things are going really well during the day. People come in. They do their banking. They leave. I'm competent in the back. In fact, I'm more than competent. I'm amazing. <laughs> and then just after lunch... Outside the window of the office, I see a battered green Land Rover pull up. And there's two hunting dogs in the back, kind of sleeping, unconcerned. And it looks perfect for the sleepy little English village. Absolutely perfect. And then this tall, lean man with a big nose and a slight beard climbs out, and he's wearing tweed and it's like something out of an Agatha Christie novel, and I love it. And he goes up to the counter, and he's doing his banking, and he's clearly having a bit of a conversation with the counter staff. And then, as I was expecting by this time, because I know the procedures, the counter staff comes over to me and says, I think you need to deal with this as the acting branch manager. So I say, sir, very nice to meet you. Would you like to come into the interview room, please? And I open up the door to a tiny little interview room. And I lead him inside and ask him to sit down. And he sits down and I say, sir, how can I help you? And he looks at me and he goes, your accent. Are you from the colonies? <laughs> now, this isn't as much of a non sequitur as you'd think, because people often ask me if I was from the colonies when I lived in England. But, you know, take it in my stride, professional, calm. Ready to go? Uh, yes, I'm from Canada. Um, what can I help you with today? Oh, is your father a, a corn man or a wheat man? 
um, I'm a bit put off by this because this is not a question I've had before, but I try and answer him in a respectable manner. Well, he's, he's, he's neither. He's, he's not a farmer. Uh, and he goes, oh, you mean he, he, he doesn't own land? Well, he does. But look, that's kind of beside the point. What can I help you with today? And so he takes a deep breath and he starts off. And he, well, you see, it's a bit of a tragic circumstance. You know, I've, I've uh, well, you see, my wife died two years ago. And I'm the executor of her estate, you see. And, and you see, um, I had this check and I find myself embarrassingly short of money. And he goes on to explain how he's got this check and he's a bit short of money and he'd really appreciate if somehow I could, as the branch manager, just manage to cash his check for him so he'd have a little bit of spare cash for the end of the month. And he's going on and on about this and I'm nodding sagely in an understanding way. And Finally, I managed to break into his monologue and say, well, sir, I'd like to help you, uh, so could I please see the check? And he, he pulls out a billfold and pulls the check out and hands me this you know, rectangular square of paper folded in half, and I unfold it. And as I unfold it, I can see on the top left-hand corner the blue and white logo of the Royal Bank of Scotland. Yeah. And so I ask him, do you have an account with us here at HSBC? And he says, well, no. Um, did your wife have an account with us at HSBC? Well, no, but a check's a check. Surely you can, surely you can cash that. I mean, obviously, it's, it's valid. Surely you can trust me. And I said, well, I'm so sorry, sir. I'm afraid that I can't help you. See, it's bank policy not to cash the checks of other banks unless you have an account with us. Oh. And he looks crestfallen. And after a few more pleasantries of, you know, the Bank of Scotland is just down the road, and if you go there, they might be able to help you, he gets up to leave. And I open the door for him, and I hold out my hand, and I say, Sir, it's been wonderful to meet you today. I really hope you find satisfaction at the Royal Bank of Scotland. And he reaches out to shake my hand, and as he does, he grasps my hand, and he pulls my arm towards him, and I just notice what's happening in time for me to turn my head, and he plants a big kiss on my cheek. And I'm sitting there, kind of stunned, because I have done all the right things. I am wearing the bank shoes, I have the bank hair, I'm wearing the bank suit. I have a name tag that says branch manager, acting. Nowhere in the procedure manual did it say that you should give your branch manager a smooch when leaving the interview room. And I should have been outraged. I probably should have been offended. But to be honest, I wasn't. I went back to the office wondering whether or not I existed when nobody was looking at me. And I logged on to the system and I checked out the procedure for handing in my notice. It turns out I wasn't cut out for banking, but still, 
I found other things to do that I am pretty good at. So it all worked out for the best. Now our workshops are starting up again cautiously. Look for them when they go up on Meetup and we look forward to hosting you again. We do have a December show in the pipeline too. Gina will be hosting and the theme is For You. There will be pitch workshops up, so keep a lookout for those as well. The next story we have for you today comes from The Vault. Ross told the story way back in the mists of time in 2017. Here is Ross. So I drive up to Preston Truck Tires and I jump out of the car and take on board a deep breath of country air. The smell of vulcanized rubber, disgusting, acrid fumes that stick to your clothing so that people think you smoke 40 cigarettes a day. But I've come here to start, start an advertising campaign for a new client. Preston truck tires so I have to think positive and I say it out loud right there in the car park vulcanized rubber the smell of money and success I enter the offices and I'm welcomed by managing director Peter Preston Rossi said we put new treads on worn truck tires Saving vehicle operators thousands of dollars. We're the best in the world. But our advertising's failed completely. Can you help us? Can I help you? I say, can I help you? Is the Pope a Catholic? He says, uh, uh, what did you say, Ross, about the Pope? I said, never mind, Peter. Never mind. Tell me, what's your USP? What's your unique sales proposition? He says, Ross... He says, our new patented pressure tread tires, they never wear out. And I want you, I want you to convince the truck trade of this, to make them understand. Got it? Did you, did you say never wear out, Peter? Ne- never? You know, I mean, like, could you tell me precisely how your tires last forever? You know, what's the secret? He said, if I had told you that, Ross, I'd have to kill you. But I'll give you a clue. Our pressure treads, our pressure treads are built around compressed rubber. That's a super material. It just, uh, it just, uh, it just ignores abrasion, cuts, nails, everything. And that's why our treads last longer than the body of the tire. So our treads never wear out. Got it? And I said, um, well, I, I think I understand that, Peter, but if you, if you tell the truckers that the tires last forever, they're going to be skeptical. I pondered on this a little bit. You know, I mean, if the truck trade don't believe Peter Preston, who would they believe? Maybe they'd believe their competitors, I thought. Maybe they'd believe other truckers. Peter, what you need to do is to get truck managers, truck fleet managers, and let them tell the other truckers that his, that his, that their, uh, you know, that their tires, their pressure treads never wear out, right? What you need is customer testimonials, old chap. Impossible, Ross, he said. We can't, get customer, we can't get customer testimonials because the truck managers are in the pockets of the big tire companies. Pirelli, Michelin, Dunlop, 
Firestone, they're all the same, whining and dining and taking the truck managers to, 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 to nightclubs, filling their back pockets with cash. He said, they won't give me testimonials because they don't want to upset their relationships with the big tire companies. I said, well, Peter, you know, you must have, you must have one or two of the smaller customers. There must be some people, some of your customers like you. And he said, well, yeah, maybe, maybe one or two. He said, we had one this week, Ross. He said, the treads lasted for 100,000 miles. 100,000 miles are in perfect condition. It's probably a world record. But there's a problem. The fleet manager there, Duncan McBain, he's a very difficult man to deal with. He's got a reputation as a troublemaker in the local village. Chases people around with a shotgun. I don't think you can get a story from him, Ross, frankly. I said, Duncan, Duncan McBain, did you say? Well, that sounds a little bit Scottish to me, Peter. He said, correct. He said, he's a mean, aggressive bastard. I dislike the Scots, Ross. I said, well, well actually, Peter, um, I'm half Scottish myself, old chap. He said, well, don't worry, I'll only half dislike you. I said, well, make sure it's not the half that sends you invoices, okay? Well, he said, uh, if you're insistent, if you really want to go ahead, Ross, my secretary will give you McBain's address on the way out. And my, is, my advice is, take a bulletproof jacket, a large bottle of single malt scotch whiskey, and uh, don't go in the afternoon because he'll be drunk. Good luck. So two or three days later, I arrive at uh, Duncan McBain's front door, ring the bell, and it's answered by a bear of a man. And as he towers over me, I see a great scar down his right chin and bruises all down his face and neck. I say, good morning, Mr. McBain, handing him the Scotch whiskey. I say, it's very kind of you to spare the time to see me. I'm hoping you'll show me your pressure treads. And tell me about your experience with them. He snorts non-committedly and sort of strolls across his yard and kicks this large truck tire leaning against the fence. He said, that's Preston stuff. And I say, okay. And I bend down and, and I pretend to examine the tire with a, a, an expert eye. I said, amazing, 100,000 miles and it looks like a new tire. And he said, uh, what well, I'm canny, you see. I teach, my, I teach my drivers to go easy on the brakes to save the tires, and I give them a bonus, right? And that wasn't exactly what I wanted to hear. I said, but Mr. McBain, you know, you, you did choose to use pressure treads, pressure, pressure treads and uh, you're the leader in the industry now. You're, you're, you're the best man in the industry. And he said, uh, yes, uh, maybe, maybe. So I decide that uh, if McBain doesn't actually contradict what I say, he must agree with me. And if he agrees with me, I can quote what I say as coming from him in the advertisement, you see. So I say, um, well, I said 100,000 miles, and this uh, pressure tread's like a new tire. Uh, and he shrugs and pulls a face, and I say, quote... I say, um, uh, I say, and I guess Preston are giving you, um, they're giving you the best retreads on the British market, aren't they? And he says, oh, Preston and, Preston and his pansy girl salesman. And I think, 
quote, best on the market. <laughs> so I think it might loosen up a bit if I take a photograph, so I get my little camera out. I said, uh, Mr. McBain, could you hold the tire like this a little bit, you know, as if you're, you're showing it to people, please. And he grabs the tire, this great huge tire, and looks at me with this blank, unsmiling expression. I say lots of positive things to him, and I smile at him, thinking he might smile back or something like that. Suddenly he sneezes and accidentally uses his smile muscles, and I click the camera. Anyway, when we finished, I go home to my office to uh, see what I got, you know. And uh, I look at the photograph. It's okay, but the pressure tread looks like a heap of coal because black rubber doesn't reflect any light, so there's no tread pattern on it. These were the days long before Photoshop. So I blow it up very big and give it to my designer, and he airbrushes it the old-fashioned way, building up a brand new tread until it looks, it just looks like a complete new tread on a new wheel, just, just right like that. And we sit down and we do the layout of the advert, and I write the copy with all the great claims on, and you've got this nice picture of McBain looking a bit serious, but not too unfriendly. You know what I mean? He's not actually killing anyone in the ad. Anyway, I send the advert over to Preston, and he loves it. And he sends it over to McBain, and he has no, he has no, uh, has no objection. I'm over the moon. It means we'll better run the advert. Uh, so I, uh, I, 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 I reserve space. I book space in all the truck magazines and the tyre magazines, looking forward to seeing my masterpiece in print in a few weeks' time. And... Uh, of course, I'll get, you know, production costs paid for. I'll be to charge them up to Preston and get 15% of the advertising spend. So I'll better pay my bills and give my wife some money to feed the baby. Okay, so uh, two or three days later, I get a call from Peter. Hello, Peter. Looking forward to seeing the McBain advert next Friday week, are we? Right? Right? Ross, we can't run the McBain advert. Uh, what? What do you mean, Peter? It's, it's all approved. It's cleared. It's okay, right? The police told me they found McBain's body in a ditch this morning with 32 stab wounds. I can't have a customer testimonial from a dead customer, can I? <laughs> I'm furious. If only McBain had died 10 days later, <laughs> the advert would have run and all the sensation over his death would have generated more interest in the campaign. <laughs> I felt so sorry for myself. <laughs> However, in the long run, it worked out okay. I, I charged all the production co costs up to Preston. And for the next few years, I wrote many, created many new adverts for the amazing pressure treads. But every time I went back to Preston's uh, tire company, and every time I pass a truck work, a truck tire workshop, I smell that damn vulcanized rubber. And it's not, it's not the smell of money and success. It's the smell of death. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for listening to today's stories brought to you by Hong Kong Stories. 
The music for this podcast was written and performed by Andrew Robert Smith. Everyone has a story to tell. <laughs>